0: Hi, my name is Samuel Finlay, and you're listening to the ACES podcast. In this episode of the ACES podcast, I speak with Professor Alan Bond from Monash University. We have a conversation about his interest in chemistry, how it all started, his career in research, and much more. So let's get to the episode. So joining me today on the ACES podcast is Professor Alan Bond from Monash University, who will also be a special guest next week for an ACES webinar. Alan, thanks for joining me.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here today.
0: We were just talking before I hit record about the changes this year due to COVID. You're down in Melbourne. I'm up in Wollongong, which has been slightly more relaxed. Uh, how have you found this year, especially you know within your uh, profession and your job?
1: It's been a very difficult year in every sense, but particularly I think for our students at Monash University, they've been locked down for a very long period of time. There's no certainty about when they can go into labs, what restrictions will be, what facilities will be available. And of course, we've had no new students arriving. So in that sense, it's uh, well, the status quo has just carried on. And I think it's difficult mentally too, for the students, uh, not meeting with their supervisors I see everyone by Zoom at the moment and it just hasn't quite got the personal feel and the interaction passion that you get from face-to-face conversation.
0: Certainly, we're also talking about that Zoom fatigue that um, can sometimes happen when you have back-to-back Zoom meetings.
1: I'm certainly suffering from Zoom fatigue. Uh, I find my concentration wanes after about half an hour or so and <laughs> for the whole day, it's, <laughs> it is a real problem.
0: I know exactly what you mean. Uh, so let's just jump into your current positions. You're a professor in chemistry at Monash University. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes, I'm an Emeritus Professor of Chemistry at Monash University, which basically gives me the opportunity to be full-time research. Uh, I do very little teaching, at least at Monash University. Uh, I still supervise, co supervise students with uh, two staff members at Monash University and elsewhere in Australia and overseas, I also supervise students. I'm pretty actively involved in uh, research and it's fun. And during the coronavirus period, I've actually had time to, unbroken time, to write quite a lot of work up that's been sitting on the back burner for a long time. But that's been the one positive thing for coronavirus.
0: So how about your background? Let's, let's go back a little bit. So why, why science in the beginning?
1: Uh, I think the dominant feature was I enjoyed maths as a young person always got like playing with numbers and doing things so that uh, gave me a science bent and year 12 at school had a fantastic chemistry teacher who uh, gave us university type work well advanced for the year 12 at school we organized lots of experiments for us that were outside the curriculum and generally just made it all fascinating Uh, so that was really my inspiration in science I think it's built on liking numbers and maths, so I wouldn't be a good synthetic chemist, obviously, having to make things. (laughs) Uh, And then when I went to university, I guess, uh, I still wanted to do maths, but my maths marks became low, lower and lower as I found there were so many bright people in maths I couldn't compete with. My chemistry marks got higher and higher, so I changed and made sure I went on to chemistry and still haven't left the university, still
0: doing chemistry. And where did you do your um, undergraduate degree?
1: At the University
0: of Melbourne. Okay, so are you originally from Melbourne?
1: Uh, I came from Cobden, which is a country area of Victoria, near towards the South Australian border, and moved to Melbourne uh, for schooling, secondary schooling, and stayed in Melbourne uh, for university.
0: Right, and was a PhD something you always wanted to do, or was it something that once you sort of did that undergraduate uh, degree, that it was just, I guess, uh, the natural progression?
1: Well, I came from a family where no one had ever gone to university, so I guess my first surprise was I went to university. Uh, I got a Commonwealth scholarship, and that was the only way I would have been able to go. Uh, And then when I did my undergraduate work, uh, I actually had a third-year project in electrochemistry, and I really found that fascinating. It was with a dropping mercury electrode, and I loved watching the mercury drip drip out of a tube. I always played with mercury. I thought it was a fun element. And so at that stage, I thought, Oh, well, research looks to be very interesting. And again, I ended up getting a scholarship to go on and do a PhD. Uh, and I found that well, obviously very fascinating cause I'm still doing chemistry.
0: And where did you do your PhD? Also at the university of Melbourne. Right. And you know, obviously chemistry has been your focus. Was it, was it always chemistry or were there some other areas of, of science you, you delved into in those early days?
1: On the early days, certainly mathematics was uh, of great interest to me. Uh, Statistics were always interesting. Uh, That area, it's always been in the physics, uh, physics, maths, chemistry area. But now I apply a lot of maths to chemistry, but I know I'm not as good as many other
0: people at maths. (laughs) <laughs> so after finishing your PhD how, how did you find uh, I guess life after PhD as a postdoctoral because I often I talk to uh, people who have just finished the PhDs who can find it a little bit tough how did you find it back back in those days
1: well it had its ups and downs it's a rocky road and I think people will still find that uh, I actually got a research fellowship position at the University of Melbourne and then I got a Fulbright scholarship to go to the United States, which was effectively like a postdoctoral position. Uh, I went to the United States twice. The second occasion, I was told from Melbourne University my position wouldn't be continued uh, when I came back. I just had a young baby, so that was a bit of a problem. Uh, so when I came back, I had about six months to look for a job. I got the advice from and actually a Nobel laureate, Professor Wilkinson, from um, just, uh, it only costs you a cent to apply for jobs, apply for everything uh, and see what turns up. So I got shortlisted for a couple of jobs uh, at lecturer level, didn't get those, seemed to come second or third, which is probably <laughs> <a> <laughs> depressing. And then I applied for the chair position, the foundation professorship at Deakin University. And uh, to my surprise, I found it easier to become a professor than become a lecturer I'm one of these few people who's never held a lecturer position, senior lecturer, associate professor, uh, went from nothing to full professor. So (laughs) you need a lot of luck to do that, I think.
0: Yes, certainly. Uh, And what what were you doing in America?
1: I was working on a project with uh, Professor Don Smith at uh, Northwestern University. Uh, That was the start of the computer era in electrochemistry, and indeed most branches of chemistry. He'd had a large computing system, a Raytheon from the U.S. Uh, Navy, I think it was, one of the uh, Navy or Army, and had a chance to play with this and use it and see what could be done. And it was very inspirational, and I've kept my interest in computers, and computer science has applied to chemistry ever since.
0: Right, and how did you find the that experience? You know, going from uh, research in Australia and then um, to another country was it was it very similar or the differences?
1: Uh, There were some differences. I noticed in the United States they have a lot of coursework during their PhD. They also take a much longer time over their PhD. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's a greater expectation there was that you work at weekends and you work in evenings. I wasn't sure it was all productive work because they were pretty good at playing cards and chess and
0: all
1: <laughs> things to make sure they were seen by their supervisors. <laughs> my feeling. And war games and things like that were <laughs> quite <laughs> close. Cool. But uh, I did enjoy uh, Northwestern University because it's a, one of the top US ones. And to work with a huge number of incredibly talented people and see what they could do and what was happening really opened my eyes. That was uh, I think uh, a great learning experience.
0: So you've been at Monash university for, I believe around 25 years or so. Is that correct?
1: Yes. It's the longest I've been anywhere. So <laughs> yes, I have. Well,
0: wow, that's quite an achievement. And how did you first uh, come to Monash?
1: Well, via a fairly circuitous route, uh, I had the foundation chair of chemistry at Deakin university. And then I moved to La Trobe university for a while and then before coming to Monash University. so uh, Since I started at the University of Melbourne, I regard myself as an expert on Victorian universities.
0: <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I now have an adjunct professorship appointment at the RMIT university. <laughs> uh, almost completed the... Uh, <laughs> uh, I did, of course, in the meantime, spend some time in the UK at Oxford University uh, and I still maintain contact with the University of Oxford and go there about three months each year, except this year, of course, because of Corona yeah. problems. So, you know, chemistry is very international. And uh, I then came to Monash, which was uh, a very, very good university. It's uh, one of the, well, a bit like where you are, a newer university. And uh, people were very innovative, creative, and the facilities were uh, pretty good. So uh, I've, en- I've enjoyed my time at Monash University.
0: And uh, I wonder, because a lot of uh, people that have finished a PhD have this thought of, you know, do they go s- stay in research or d- in academia or do they go outside in, in into industry? I was wondering, was that ever a thought for you?
1: Yes, I, well, I've, I've had the best of both worlds because I've been able to work with industry and still be at university. Uh, there's a lot of very creative people in industry as well. Uh, they often work on very focused pro- projects Uh, And as an outsider, you come in and you can see things that they wouldn't have thought of and have discussions with them, like at university. So I would work at industry if I could get the right position. Uh, I guess I like a lot of freedom. but Because I've got to the stage in my career where I've enjoyed freedom. I've seen some of the constraints of industry where... Uh, they can change directions midway through a project or you know, management come and go. And it, it's a fairly <laughs> difficult environment at times. But I think there are some fantastic, well, there used to be at least, I'm not so sure in the coronavirus period, uh, some pretty good companies in Australia if you can find the right uh, vacancy.
0: Yeah. And how about life outside of work and research? What, what are your interests? What do you get up to in your downtime?
1: Well, uh, I used to play a lot of cricket. That was one of my passions uh, up to, I guess, almost age 60, Uh, because I could play at Oxford University in the UK as well as in Australia. I think I drove my wife insane by doing it, but (laughs) (laughs) also on the other side, always enjoyed going to the theatre, particularly the live theatre, and uh, seeing what's happening there. Uh, Sport has taken a lot of my interest though, I guess, with football and golf and various activities of that kind, uh, which I still retain interest in but don't play anymore. I just watch the grandchildren play now and admire what they can do.
0: So something I've asked every guest that I've had on the podcast is whether they have something that they do every single day that helps them approach uh, their research and approach a day's work, maybe a morning routine or or something similar. Is there something you do every day that that helps and has helped you? No,
1: I, I guess the uh, the only thing I've always done is when I come into the office, uh, and that's not not happening at the moment, yeah. the coronavirus. I'd always just uh, do a quick search of the literature or see if I could find something interesting and fascinating uh, and also made sure uh, not to look at email the first thing I came in <laughs> because I think you, the younger generation are perhaps smarter than I am they can work out how to control email but that computer sitting there <laughs> is very seductive <laughs> and, and occupy a heck of a lot of time of fairly meaningless activities
0: I can certainly relate to that. <laughs> so, uh, I'm wondering if you weren't doing research for a living, what do you think you you might have ended up ended up doing as a career?
1: Uh, I suspect I would have gone to industry.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Given what we've talked about before, um, places, well, places like CSIRO, uh, I think I'd have tried to use my scientific background. But I guess the thing I've learned is whatever you do, you've got to enjoy it. You've got to be passionate about it. Uh, If you're not, it gets boring and tedious, and I think it reflects in the quality of your work. Uh, So I guess I'd be always looking for something that I was attracted to, have the chance to be innovative, uh, and uh, working with good people also, I think, is critical. If you have a job where you don't get on with your boss or something of that sort, it can become... uh, well, pretty demanding and uh, and stressful.
0: <laughs> and something else I've also asked every guest that I've had on is if they've got any advice that they'd like to share for maybe someone who's just started a PhD or someone who's just finished one.
1: Well, I think you know, the advice is changing because of the coronavirus. Uh, the advice I'd have now would be make sure you get on very well with your supervisor and keeping close touch despite Difficulties now. I think probably in Wollongong it's a little easier, but here, for example, I've got a student who joined my group, co-supervised, uh, about a week before the coronavirus. So I've hardly seen him except on Zoom. And that's pretty difficult. So I think uh, if you, the advice would be, stay in touch with people. Don't just stay at home locked up. Make sure that you're passionate about what you're doing, even within a coronavirus situation. I'd say at the moment, if you feel like changing your project topic, do it, uh, if it's doable, it manageable within the coronavirus system, don't get frustrated by doing stuff that really just isn't practical in the current climate, but perhaps plan to do it in a year or two's time. So it's a little bit more difficult now, uh, just because of that human contact uh, problem, at least in Victoria.
0: Yeah, some great advice there. And just to finish up the podcast, um, as I mentioned at the start, you're giving a ACES webinar um, next week on the 11, evolution, I should say, of electrochemistry. I'm wondering what can we expect?
1: Well, I think uh, we can expect my, to talk about uh, how the subject is advanced and how modern uh, computers, high-speed computing has had a massive impact but probably not as much as it should have uh, because uh, the level of expertise to use these things has also gone up extraordinarily and you can't do as many things yourself you have to rely on working with other people a lot more than when i was a young student i thought i could do everything myself that wasn't true but i just thought i could now i've realized probably you have to work more in teams than when i was a, a a student You have to take advice from people who are good at maths, chemistry, physics, material science, perhaps medicine, biology. Uh, The other aspect, I think I'd try and do a little what I might call mentoring. Uh, Talk about the interactions I've had with people, some things that have changed my career, changed my view on things. Uh, One piece of advice I'd always like to offer is you won't always be right. In science, you can only prove things are wrong and so don't believe what you read on the internet all the time. Don't believe the paper, even if it's written by Gordon, Wallace and myself, <laughs> uh, you've got to be prepared to challenge, uh, in science. and if you make a mistake, uh, don't let it bug you for too long. Get on with it because it won't be the last mistake you make in your life.
0: Yeah. Some more great advice there. And I'm looking forward to, to next week's webinar. It should be, should be great. Um, That brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining me today, Alan. It's been a pleasure to have a chat. And uh, like I said, looking forward to hearing from you more next week for the ACES webinar.
1: Okay. Look forward to seeing you too next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the ACES podcast. For more episodes like this one, be sure to subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can also find more information about ACES on our website, electromaterials.edu. Au. There you'll find links to our various social media platforms. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at Samuel Finlay. Until next time, thanks for listening.